You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. Good morning, good morning, Calvary. How's everyone doing? Good, good, good. In case you haven't noticed, I am not Pastor uh, Bob. So, for those of you who don't know, my name is James. I'm the youth director here, and I've been given the honor of spending this time here with you guys today. So, without further ado, for those of you who don't know, I am getting married in about two or three months to my beautiful fiance. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. You probably saw her up here when she was hosting, um, and she, you, you might have met her when you, when you checked your kids into the children's ministry, but she is amazing, and I don't know about you, I don't know about you, but everyone's engagement story is different, right? Everyone's engagement story is different. I had the bright idea of doing a surprise proposal for her. Now, this was quite the challenge because my fiance is extremely sharp. So if one thing didn't go according to plan, it was all over. She would figure out it was a surprise. So I recruited uh, Pastor George, the worship pastor, and he helped me uh, make this happen, right, as you do. And the plan was to make my fiance think that we were going on a fancy date, right? And then Pastor George, uh, he would call me and tell me that he needed help at the church to fix something before Sunday, and then when I arrived to the church, I would ask her to come inside for a second. And then she would walk through the front door. Uh, the, the barn doors would open. And then, you know, this, that, everything would, would come together, right? Her favorite song would be playing. And then I would propose to her. Well, I pick her up. And we're heading over to the restaurant. And I'm awaiting Pastor George's phone call to initiate the plan. And he calls me and he says, James, the entire video system for recording shut down and I need you to get over here immediately to fix it before tomorrow's service. Now before this, as a, as a precursor, I told George I was going to get really angry, right? I was going to get really angry and just sell the act, right? And he was like, listen, man, do what you need to to sell it, right? I don't know if you know this, but Pastor George, he's a, he's a super nice guy, right? So he, he, he tells me this, and then I respond on the phone, and I'm like, are you serious? What is wrong with you? You can't fix it on your own, man. I'm just trying to spend a couple of hours with my girlfriend, and here you come, ruining the whole thing, right? And the funny part uh, is that I was actually able to get a genuine reaction from Pastor George because I don't think he's ever heard me uh, get angry. Um, so me and George, we sell the phone call. We nail it. My, my, my fiance totally believes it. And it's almost time for the last part of the plan. So I get to the church. I get out, right? And I tell my fiance, just stay in the car for a little bit. I'm gonna see what's going on, try to fix it. And then I'll come back in. We can, we, we can go on our date. So... I get in the building. I get, I get myself ready, right? I'm standing right there at the barn doors. And it's the moment, right? I get ready to text her. And I text her, hey, can you come inside for a second? And she texts back, I can't. 
the car alarm is going to go off. And I text her back, don't worry, I didn't lock it. Come on inside. To which she replies, no. I'm pretty sure you locked the car. So here I am, about to make one of the biggest decisions in my life. And I'm sitting on the phone arguing with my fiance, right? And we go back and forth for about 10 minutes and then she finally comes into the building and then this happens. There's George right there. So, I appreciate that. Safe to say, safe to say it worked out. Uh, she didn't say no, otherwise that would be really weird. Um, but the funny part is that if my fiance knew I was proposing to her, she would have sprinted towards the church, right? She wouldn't have a care in the world about the car alarm. It would have been one of the easiest decisions she would have to make because she was already counting down the days until I proposed to her. And what we don't realize is that that reality is often in our own lives. We've all been in that moment where we're hesitant to make a decision because we don't know what is waiting for us on the other side. And unfortunately, in today's culture, we've collectively fallen into the state of indecisiveness. Whether it comes to our work ethic, our beliefs, Right? Or, or just taking a step in the right direction. Because sin is so prevalent in our culture, we, we become blinded when it comes to making meaningful decisions. The phrase about the church is that the church is full of hypocrites. The church is full of hypocrites. Right? According to a recent study, 45% of Christians have an addiction to gambling. 28% of Christians have an addiction to viewing explicit content. 57% of Christians support premarital relations, and 53% of Christians support the practice of abortion. And, and my point being is this. If, if this is how we have portrayed Christianity to the world, then, then instead of being upset at the world for labeling us as hypocrites, we should examine how we are living out the gospel through the decisions that we make. Today, I want to challenge you to examine how you make the decisions that shape who you are. And I can guarantee you, I can guarantee you that the biblical view of how we should make decisions is vastly different than from what we're often presented with. We're going to look at how the, the gospel should enable us to make the right decisions in our lives. You see, the word gospel is the word eongelion. It's, it's where we get the word evangelism from. And it simply translates to good news or good message, right? Eon means good. Angelos means messenger, messenger. So good message, good news. It's the events that transpired 
in order for us to freely receive forgiveness. I love the way one commentator explains the gospel. He says, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus lived a perfect life of righteousness, of perfect obedience to God, not for his own well-being, but for his people. He has done for me what I couldn't possibly do for myself, but not only has he lived that life to perfect obedience, he offered himself as a perfect sacrifice to satisfy the justice and righteousness of God. We've all heard this good news, this good message in some shape or form. Whether you grew up in the church, right? Whether you grew, grew up uh, religious or around friends and, and family, uh, you might have had a friend or a family member explain it to you. Most of us have heard this gospel message or at least some iteration of it. But the most clear description of the gospel events being outlined is found in 1 Corinthians 15. And this is where Paul states, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was also seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. You see, Jesus, he rose from the dead. And through his sacrifice on the cross, we're able to have a relationship with him. But how should, how should that reality impact the way that we make decisions? Today, we're going to look at a passage in Romans 1, 16 through 17. And for those of you who don't know, the book of Romans it was written by the Apostle Paul around 57 AD, during the end of his third missionary journey. The letter uh, was most likely directed to several churches in Rome, which I put in your outlines, which are addressed in Romans 1, 7, where it says, To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Romans, it's often considered to be one of the most theologically rich letters of the Pauline epistles, of Paul's letters. As the Apostle Paul, he outlines the basics of the Christian faith to the Gentile or non-Jewish believer. In this short passage, the Apostle Paul, he gives the believer insight on how we can use the gospel, uh, how we can utilize the gospel to make meaningful decisions. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to start in this verse 16. So if you'll read with me uh, the short verse, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And if you'll stop right there with me, if you're a note taker, our first point is that the gospel should give me confidence when making decisions. The gospel should give me confidence when making decisions decisions. Uh, and we often think of confidence, right, in this very exaggerated way, in this way that's, that's often blown out of proportion. And in reality, the biblical definition of confidence is much different than what we often attribute confidence to be. 
right? You know there's an obvious difference between having a false sense of confidence and a real sense of confidence. And here's what I mean. Society's definition of confidence, it's often stripped of emotion. It requires that in order to seem capable in a situation, you can't be vulnerable in that environment. How many times have we heard the notion that if you want to be perceived as confident, that you can't be vulnerable in front of people? And yet, despite this, what's the shortest verse in the Bible? I put it in your outlines, John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. What was Jesus' first response upon hearing that his friend Lazarus had died? He wept. And in John eleven thirty six, 36, you see the response of those around him. It says, then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Despite him knowing, despite Jesus knowing that he would resurrect Lazarus from the dead, Jesus, he took that moment and embraced empathy in order to heal. And through that process, he was able to leave a meaningful impression on those around him. Paul actually affirms this in Romans 12, where he says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So why is it? Why is it when we're out in the world, when we're living our lives, that we're told that we have to guard our emotions, that we have to put up this front in order to seem capable or in order to seem confident? Because my friend's false confidence is always rooted in values that don't have any logical bearing. Now, to give you an example of this, uh, most of you don't know this, but I'm actually partially uh, colorblind. So, partially, guys. Please don't ask me what the color of a Coke can is. I know it's red, um, right? But I didn't know this about myself until I was around eight or nine years old. I can distinguish uh, most colors, but I have especially hard time telling the difference between red, green, and brown. As you can imagine, Uno is a nightmare for me. Uh, when I was younger, right, my parents, they would sign me up for these different sports. So this time around, I was on the soccer team, which is probably the only time in my life uh, that I willingly played soccer, right? So the only problem is that most of the games, our jerseys were red, and the opposite team's jerseys were green. Yeah. So as you can imagine, I get into this game, and I am absolutely confused as to who's on my team and who isn't. I'm like, who on earth is, it? like, I can't tell the difference, right? So in my mind, as long as I looked confident, as long as I looked like I knew what I was doing, I'm just like, I'm going to fake it until I make it, right? And then, you know, I... I that's, that's what I'm going to do. So I, I, I get on the field, right, and I just start running around as fast as I possibly can in a circle around the other players. I mean, I'm going for it, like just taking laps, laps. And I'm like, yeah, dude, I'm, I'm fooling everyone, right? We're driving back from the game, and my parents asked me, what in the world was going on out there? What were you doing? And I was just like, what do you mean? I killed it. Like, I did what I was supposed to do. I was like, you know, and they probably figured that soccer just wasn't uh, my sport, right? But the reality is that I wasn't sure who was actually on my team 
and two wasn't. So I failed to make any real decisions. Because real confidence is not your ability to blindly follow your instincts. It's when we make decisions rooted in truth, regardless of what's going on around us. This is why despite receiving unimaginable persecution, all of the apostles consistently pursued spreading the gospel. And just as a reminder, their outside circumstances didn't get better, right? It didn't, their outside circumstances didn't suddenly get better after converting to Christianity. Peter and Paul, two of the most revered apostles, died around 66 AD, and the apostle John is presumed to be the only person who died of a natural death. Every other apostle was martyred defending the gospel. So why is it that thousands of years later, we're using their words to reach others? Because they chose to root themselves in Jesus instead of their outside circumstances. If I can speak to the the families in this room, to the parents in this room for a moment, if you want your kids to be spiritually mature enough to be able to weather the world and all of the sin that is in it, don't let a set of rules, a report card politics, or even religious tradition be the source of their confidence. Reaffirm that in their lives, Jesus should be the only source of their confidence. Fathers, if you want to raise godly children, instead of perpetuating the same thing that the world does, perpetuating false confidence rooted in your own ability, promote empathy that is rooted in your relationship with Jesus. Instead of making your status in society the measure of your confidence, make your relationship with Jesus the measure of your confidence. And I know what you're thinking, James, how are you going to tell me this? You haven't even raised a family. How, how, how am I going to sit here and listen to you? And I, I know it is hard. I know it is hard, especially when you have to let go. But when you make that decision to make Jesus the source of your confidence, you'll see your home transform from the inside out. You'll see relationships in your family start to heal in a way that they didn't before. And there's suddenly going to be this purpose to the goals that you set out in front of you that you didn't have before. Because when our relationship with Jesus is the source of our confidence, we're able to shift what we ultimately put our trust in and know that we can approach whatever situation we encounter. In Hebrews 10, uh, 35 through 36, the Apostle Paul, he reminds the believer of this, to be confident in their faith and to continue to endure what they encounter. He says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. When we decide to embrace confidence that is rooted in truth instead of our own ability, we'll be able to be sure of the decisions that we make. And God is going to begin to use those decisions to not only impact you, but the lives of the people around you in a way that is is tangible 
and meaningful. Well, Paul, he continues in verse 16, and he says, For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. If you'll stop right there, this leads us to our second point together, if you're a note taker, and that is that the gospel should give me perspective when making decisions. The gospel should give me perspective when making decisions. When we embrace the gospel message, it should fundamentally change the way that we look at our own life. The word that Paul uses uh, for power in this verse, it literally uh, translates to, to force or a miraculous power. It's the idea that when we interact with the gospel, God does a miraculous work to change every aspect of our life. Right? It's, it's, uh, it, it's the idea that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 17. He, and he says this to the Corinthians regarding their own conversion. He says, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we, we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The apostle Paul, he explains that when we accept the gospel, God, he's going to begin to change us. And not only change us, but what we once focused on. All of our life is no longer going to be the focus in our life. Paul, he, he reaffirms this and he says, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. And yet despite this, how many times do we have an interaction with the gospel and we fail to implement it in our day-to-day -day life? We'll, we'll hear a message, we'll, we'll, we'll do a Bible study, and then throughout the week we, we just forget everything that we learned. And if we're honest, most of the time we think that we're doing everything right. We think we're doing everything the right way. We have this habit to turn even the good aspects of our life into something that we focus too much of our attention on. Whether that be your, your career, your education, your health, or even your public perception. And when that isn't working, what do we turn to? We turn to religion to be the answer to the problems we face in life. And we add this burden in our life that wasn't there to begin with and we're confused. We'll say things like, we are saved, so we have to attend church a certain amount of times a month. We're saved, so we, that, that means we have to serve a certain amount of times a month. We're saved, so we have to confess our sins a certain amount of times a month. And what we don't realize is that even though we think that we're doing everything right, even though we think we're going rule by rule, check mark by check mark, we just shifted our attention from our old lifestyle into making religion the idol in our lives. And what I'm not saying is that any of those things that I just listed are inherently bad. Everything I just listed serves its purpose in growing in spiritual maturity, but if your attention is only on what you can do yourself to clean up your own life, there will never be any 
meaningful change. In order to truly make decisions that are impactful, we have to focus on what, trusting what God wants to do in our lives instead. And it's only until we realize that truth that our perspective begins to change. To give you an example of this, back when I was in high school about uh, 30 years ago, and by the way, that's, that's a joke, guys. I'm not that old. You're like, I want what that guy's using, right? Um, but back when I was in high school, right, I, I used to have to walk up to the parking lot to get to my parents' car when they picked me up. I remember, for whatever reason, that day, it was pouring rain, pouring rain, like torrential downfall, hurricane, right? And for those of you who are familiar with Florida weather, it doesn't, when it starts raining, it does not stop raining until everything is flooded. So it finally stops raining and I have a chance to walk across the field and get to my car. And for whatever reason, I thought it would be a great idea for that day uh, to impress my friends with my brand new white shoes. Well, I get in the car, I sit down and I look down and my shoes are completely black from all the mud and dirt that my shoes had accumulated. So I get home and I try my absolute hardest to clean these shoes, right? I hose them down. I put them in the washing machine. I put them in the dishwasher. I pressure clean them. I throw them off the roof. I try absolutely everything. And despite all of my efforts, you could still, every time I wore those shoes, there was still this this brown undertone on my shoes from all the dirt. I tried everything I possibly could to clean those shoes, and they were still dirty. And if we're honest, a lot of us are in that position. We're trying our hardest to clean up our lives. And yet we, we don't understand why there isn't any real change. We think that if we make everything measure up on the outside, then we can just get by in our lives. When in reality, we haven't let the Holy Spirit take hold of the decisions that we make. We're still stuck in the same sin. We still have the same attitude, and we still have the same habits. And yet Paul, he tells us that when someone interacts with the gospel, they're fundamentally different. In his words, they're a new creation. I remember when I first gave my life uh, to Jesus, I had this moment where I started to question my salvation. And, And so I approached someone I trust and I asked them, how do I know that I am saved? And the first thing, the first thing that I did is I started listing off my resume. I said, well, well, I read the Bible more. I pray more. I want to see the lives of other people change. And then I said, but I still feel tempted to choose sin. And the person replied, and they they, they said, let me ask you a question. Did you used to read the Bible? And I said, no. No. And they asked me, did you used to pray? I said, no. And they asked me, did you used to care about other people? To which I said, not really. You see, growing up in my childhood, my parents thought I was mute from how much anger 
that was stuck inside of me. I, I wouldn't even talk because I was so angry all of the time. And then all of a sudden, there was this moment where Jesus came into my life. And I was a radically different person, but I didn't even notice because I was so focused on getting rid of the sin in my life myself. I was, I was so focused on getting rid of the sin in myself all by myself, that I was unaware that the Holy Spirit had actually impacted my life as a whole. So my question for you, my question for you is where are you right now? Where are you right now? Are you living for Jesus, walking in the Spirit? Or are you the one that's making all of the decisions for your own well-being? When we begin to shift our perspective and focus on trusting God, he's going to enable you to make decisions that actually have a difference in your own life and the lives of others. Well, Paul, he concludes in verse 17. He says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. This leads us to our last point together, and that is that the gospel should give me peace when making decisions. Uh, To put this into perspective, just by a raise of hands, how many of you guys like exercising? Very, actually, I'm surprised. You guys are healthy people, right? If you can tell uh, by my amazing physique, um, I'm generally not a fan of exercising. I I diet here and there, but listen, it's not, it's not my thing, right? But as a kid, my parents, they had this rule that whenever we would talk back, whenever we were disrespectful, right, whenever we got in trouble, did something wrong, whatever, they would make us do wall sits. Now, for those of you who don't know what a wall sit is, it's when you take your back, you press it against the wall, and then you pretend like you're sitting in a chair, right? You make a 90-degree angle with your legs like you're sitting in an invisible chair. So, as you can imagine, I was always with my back leaned against the wall, doing a wall sit, right? And I was like, listen, mom, I, I don't know what, like, I'll apologize to my sip. The lactic acid is flowing like I'm trying to get out of here, right? I'm trying to stop doing these wall sits. I'll, I'll do whatever you need me to. And I remember thinking that that was the worst punishment ever, right? And the, the reason why I couldn't stand it is because it takes advantage of one simple factor, the absence of support. Because when you go and you sit in a chair, you're fine, there's no pain, right? You're sitting in a chair. But the moment you take that chair away, you start to feel pain because there's nothing to hold you up. And it's a very simple concept that we often forget is also a reality in our life. Listen, I I know that some of you today are carrying a burden in your life. Whether it's, it's trying to have the perfect family, whether it's trying to have the perfect career, or maybe, maybe you're just trying to make ends meet. And for some reason, even though it feels like you're making all of the right decisions, the, the burden still feels unbearable. 
and you still have pain in your life. And might I suggest that maybe you've been looking for support in the wrong places. And you're saying, James, that's easy for you to say. You, you work at a church, right? You have all these people. You probably have a great support system around you. But, but, but I, me, I don't have anyone to support me right now. In this last verse, the Apostle Paul, he quotes a passage from Habakkuk. This verse, it's also quoted in Galatians 3.11 and Hebrews 10.38 when conveying a similar principle. Habakkuk, he was a prophet over the tribe of Judah and his name literally translates to embrace or to cling to. Throughout his time as a, as a prophet, he pleads with God's people to repent and to put their faith in a God amidst the nation's conflict with Babylon. The author writes this in Habakkuk 2.4. He says, Behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Habakkuk, he pleads with the people of Judah to turn away from their pride and to surrender to the will of God. And in the same way, Paul is explaining to us that we should have the same response when we come to God in all of our brokenness. That, that instead of just accepting the sin in our life, and instead of pretending it doesn't exist, instead of trying to, to clean it up ourselves, that ultimately the only response, the only response is wholehearted surrender. Surrendering to a God who loves you who loves you and who wants to carry that burden in your life for you. In Matthew 11, Jesus, he gives us this picture of what it looks like when we make that decision to surrender to him, to come to him. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. In the ancient culture, a yoke was this carved wooden harness that animals used to, to carry equal portions of a heavy load. And it's often an illustration that's used several times to, to demonstrate what it's like to carry a burden. Well, the word that Jesus uses when he says, my yoke is easy. That word easy, in this context, it literally means well-fitting. A well-fitting yoke was carved specifically to that animal in order to alleviate pain and discomfort. Jesus is explaining to us that when we come to him, when we put aside our pride and we surrender to him, he's going to meet us exactly where we are and alleviate all of the burdens and all of the pain that you have been carrying. And all we have to do is make one decision, to surrender our lives 
to him. So for a moment, I, I just want you to pause. Just pause wherever you're sitting and just, just think about your own life right now. Not about anyone else's, not about anything that, that might be distracted. Think about your own life right now. And I want you to think about the decision you're going to make. What's the decision that you're going to make in your family? What's the decision that you're going to make in your career? What's the decision that you're going to make in your relationships? Are you going to keep carrying that weight like you always have? And just try to get by. Are you just going to keep carrying it yourself? Are you going to surrender to a God who loves you? A God who willingly offered himself so that you can be free. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you today and we thank you. Uh, we thank you for this opportunity to learn more about you. Lord, we pray um, for every single person in this room who is struggling right now. Lord, we pray that even if they, they feel like there isn't a way, that you would remind them that you are the only way. Lord, Lord, we, we pray that you would just encourage them and lean them in the right direction. Some people are right there and all they need is your push so that they can find rest in you. In a moment, I'm gonna continue to pray. But what I would hate for, to, to, to do in this moment is to take away that opportunity for you to make that decision, to surrender to God, to, to give up whatever you've been carrying. Maybe for some of you, you walked in here and there was a, a million things on your mind. Everything was going on around you and you didn't know how, how is it all going to work out. But you do know there, there is this, there's this, one, this, this one person who died on a cross and you know that when you come to him, he is faithful. And that person is Jesus. So if you're right there, if you, if you feel like you, that's the decision you're going to make, that you, that you want to make, I just want to give you this opportunity to surrender to him so that you can find rest. So if that is you, with every eye closed, with every uh, head bowed, if that is you and you want to make that decision today, I'm just going to ask you to raise a hand. I see you in the back. I see you. God bless. I see you. God bless. God bless. Amen. Amen. Listen, in a moment I'm going to pray. This isn't a magic formula. This isn't um, special words. All it is is an honest confession to God, asking for forgiveness. So with every head bowed and every, every eye closed, I would just ask you, the, the, the whole room, to just repeat this prayer after me. And say, dear God, I come before you today and I say that I am sorry for the mistakes that I have made. 
I believe that Jesus gave his life so that I can find mine. I want to surrender all of my life to you, starting right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.